Welcome to Casting Hope, a sermon podcast of Hope Presbyterian Church in Columbus, Ohio. My name is Joe Hack, lead pastor at Hope, and we are so glad you're listening in wherever you are. In this moment of social distancing, we hope that our audio and streaming resources meet you where you are at and help you stay connected to God and to His promises. First, good morning and welcome to Hope. Uh, If you're new with us, I especially welcome you this morning. My name is Joe Hack and I am so very glad uh, that you're here this morning. Every week I get to see what I call the Sunday morning miracle. Okay, the Sunday mir- Monday mor- miracle is exactly this. There are so many reasons to check out of church right now, uh, but you are here, so everybody just say yes. Or you're tuned in in our live stream right now, and that is quite simply a miracle. It is. I want to say, I'm not being facetious. It is proof that God is more committed to you than we will ever be committed to Him. He is, as Jude puts it in the New Testament, keeping us in his love. Well, if you're new with us, this past fall into the early winter, we've been walking through uh, the New Testament letter of James together. And we made it to the last chapter, and then we pressed pause. And we pressed pause for Advent, we pressed pause for Christmas, and even last week with the New Year. And today, we're going to press pause for one more Sunday for Epiphany. Next week, we will return to James, and when we finish, we'll have about four weeks. Uh, we'll finish in about four weeks, and we'll start a new series in the Gospel of Luke. So in Luke chapter 9, uh, we are told that Jesus turns his face toward Jerusalem and his ministry. So we're going to look at various episodes in this journey to Jerusalem in the weeks leading up to Good Friday and Easter. We, too, will turn our face towards the cross with Jesus. But this morning, we're going to explore Epiphany, because right now, uh, the global church is celebrating something called Epiphany today. So American culture wouldn't teach you this, but there are actually 12 days of Christmas. Did you know this? In the church calendar, there are 12 days of Christmas, which means 12 gifts, kids, right? Your parents have been holding back uh, every single day. And Christmas is essentially a 12-day party, a 12-day feast. And after Christmas, after 12th night, comes Epiphany. So what is Epiphany? It comes from the Greek word epiphania, which means to reveal. Something that was hidden is now in plain sight. And so we connect this word epiphany to Jesus, because Jesus is the Messiah promised ages ago to Israel, to God's people, but he remained hidden from sight. So then what happens at Christmas? What happens with the Incarnation? Epiphany. Jesus is now in plain sight. And here's the glory of Epiphany. The glory of Epiphany is that Jesus is not exclusively revealed to Israel, but it's expansively revealed to everyone across the globe. And so this morning we're going to actually look at Luke, the Gospel of Luke, chapter 2. And we're going to meet a man named Simeon. Simeon shows us exactly what happens when we see the epiphany of Jesus, when we see Jesus in plain sight, when we experience the epiphany of all epiphanies. Simeon's song is an epiphany song. So I'll read, and you can follow along. This is again Luke chapter 2, 
starting in verse 23. Then it was time for their purification offering as required by the law of Moses after the birth of a child. So his parents took him to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord. The law of the Lord says, if a woman's child, first child is a boy, he must be dedicated to the Lord. So they offered the sacrifice required in the law of the Lord, either a pair of turtle doves or two young pigeons. At that time, there was a man in Jerusalem named Simeon. He was righteous and devout and was eagerly awaiting for the Messiah to come and rescue Israel or the consolation of Israel. The Holy Spirit was upon him and had revealed to him that he would not die until he had seen the Lord's Messiah. That day, the Spirit led him into the temple. So when Mary and Joseph came to present the baby Jesus to the Lord as the law required, Simeon was there. He took the child in his arms and praised God, saying, Sovereign Lord, now let your servant die in peace, as you have promised. I have seen your salvation, which you have prepared for all people. He is a light to reveal God to the nations, and he is the glory of your people, Israel. Jesus' parents were amazed at what was being said about him. Then Simeon blessed them, and he said to Mary, the baby's mother, This child is destined to cause many in Israel to fall and many others to rise. He has been sent as a sign from God, but many will oppose him. As a result, the deepest thoughts of many hearts will be revealed, and a sword will pierce your very soul. So, Lord, with the words of my mouth this morning, and with the meditation of all of our hearts here this morning, be pleasing and acceptable to you. You are our rock. You are our redeemer. You are alive. You are speaking through your word this morning. And so, Holy Spirit, would you, with your empowering presence, open our eyes, open our hearts, so that we would encounter Jesus. With the very words of your revealed word, soften our hearts and make them joyful in the Lord. And we pray this in his name. Amen. Well, so many of you know this, but one of my favorite places in the world is the used bookstore. It can be any used bookstore. Buying a book on Amazon.com okay, is efficient, it's convenient. You search for the exact title, you click buy, and then instantly, or at least in 24 hours, a fresh brand new book arrives on your porch. And that is a lovely thing. However, the used bookstore is a completely different experience. And that's why I love it. When you enter the used bookstore, unlike Amazon, you don't even know what book you're looking for. You just walk in there. You're just searching for treasure. I'm speaking for myself. <laughs> this is exactly why I love the used bookstore. The used bookstore is always, for me, a treasure hunt. It's a treasure hunt. It's like you're a kid again with a metal detector. Uh, sometimes a worker will come up to me and say, hey, do you need help finding something? And I must appear lost. And they said, and I, you know, I'm like, no, I'm fine. I'm perusing, is what I say. I'm perusing. I'm just perusing. Which is a very fancy way of saying, I'm on a treasure hunt. I don't know what I'm looking for, but I'm looking for treasure. If you shop at antique stores or thrift stores, maybe you can relate. Anybody? Anybody? Uh, my wife loves going to antique stores, and truthfully, I love going with her. Uh, because when you go to an antique store or to a thrift store, you are, again, searching for treasure. That's the appeal. It's like a lottery ticket. I wonder if, you know, this time, this visit will be the one. 
We all do this. Now, we don't need to love books. We don't need to love used books. We don't need to love antiques. We don't need to uh, be into records or looking for really great vinyl. To be searching for treasure. Every human that has ever lived is searching for treasure. We're all deep down seekers for what is most valuable. We're restless. We're all searching for something good. We're all searching for something ultimate. We're all searching for something that will deeply and eternally satisfy. That's what is at core underneath every single being that's ever lived. Most of the time we don't realize it, but I believe the underlying motivational force for all of our life decisions is this search. I recently read this admission from a poet. He writes, quote, I am one of the searchers. There are, I believe, millions of us. We are not unhappy, but neither are we really content. We continue to explore life, hoping to uncover its ultimate secret. We continue to explore ourselves, hoping to understand. We're searching for treasure. And you know what? This is actually how the Bible depicts all of us. And so in Acts 17, the Apostle Paul tells the philosophers in Athens that they are deep down searchers, that their philosophy is a kind of groping in the dark for treasure. He says this in Acts 17, verse 24. Well, God made the world and everything in it. He himself gives life and breath to everything, and he satisfies every need. Paul goes on, from one man, he created all the nations throughout the whole earth. He decided beforehand when they should rise and fall, and he determined their boundaries. So Paul is establishing the creation and the providence of this one man, Jesus, who is God. And then he tells them the very purpose of, of this creation and providence. And I'm quoting from verse 27. His purpose was for the nations to seek after God and perhaps feel their way toward Him and find Him, though He's not far from any one of us. Paul is saying that every human is on a search, a treasure hunt. Religious folks, secular folks, philosophers, bankers, chemistry majors, artists, we're all searching for treasure. But the Apostle Paul, you know, he doesn't leave us searching. He doesn't just say, life is a search and then move on. He encountered an epiphany of revealing. He saw Jesus, the Apostle Paul. Once the enemy of Jesus and his people, he saw Jesus. He encountered Jesus. Jesus knocked him off the source. And now his life purpose is to point treasure hunters towards the treasure. His sole purpose in life. Jesus is the ultimate treasure. He's the true end of the search of our souls. And Paul's not alone. In our passage this morning that we just read, we meet Simeon. It's funny, we know nothing about Simeon at all outside of this brief episode in the Gospels. He's kind of like Tom Bombadil of Lord of the Rings. You know about Tom? You may not, because he only has one chapter in this entire giant epic Lord of the Rings, and he's left out of the movies entirely. Poor move. But that doesn't mean he's not important. Same with Simeon. He just gets a paragraph. Doesn't mean he's not important. Like Paul, Simeon has a legacy. 
Uh, he's forever inscribed in Scripture. That's, that's one thing. But in Scripture, he is saying to us, his people, the search is over. The treasure is over. The treasure you are seeking is here. It's not human philosophy. It's not human romance. It's not a job promotion. It's not your savings. It's not another high. It's not a political victory. It's not physical fitness. It's a person. And it's Jesus. The search is over. We meet Simeon at the temple in Jerusalem. Mary and Joseph bring Jesus to the temple about a month after his birth. 40 days to be precise. So Luke tells us in verse 23, this is an obedience to God's law. Luke also wants us to know that Mary and Joseph are poor. Leviticus required a lamb for sacrifice, but they, uh, but Leviticus, the God's law, made an allowance for those without material possessions for the poor to offer birds. That's all that they do for. So that's what Mary and Joseph do. And it's here in verse 25, the encounter of Simeon. And Luke tells us two things about him. Number one, he is a godly man. And number two, he is on a treasure hunt. Whereas verse 25 puts that he is waiting for the consolation of Israel. He's waiting for the consolation of Israel. So Simeon, as a, as a man who was sort of steeped in the promises of God, as a man who, uh, was, who knew the story of God, and he knew ultimately that the story was not finished yet, he knew that there was an ultimate rescue, he knew that there was an ultimate rest, or an ultimate consolation that was to come, and he was waiting for it. And he was like Jacob of old, wrestling God, it appears, because he wanted to see it with his eyes before he died. That's how eager he was to see this consolation, to experience this consolation. So that in verse 26, we see that God, the Holy Spirit, makes a promise to Simeon. You will see what you're searching for, epiphany. What has been hidden from your sight will now be visible to your sight, Simeon. And so when Joseph and Mary walk into the temple courts, Simeon takes Jesus into his arms, imagine it, and declares to them and to us... The search is over, the wait is over, the treasure is here. The pivot. Every human longing is met in this baby. Come and behold it. And so this morning, what we're going to do is we're going to lock into what Simeon has to say about this epiphany. About Jesus. Let's learn. In other words, from Simeon, how Jesus might resolve our deepest longings. How Jesus might resolve our deepest searching. Simeon, I think, shows us in his song that Jesus alone answers our search for two things. Rescue and rest. And you want Bono of U2 or Paul Houston of U2 has a famous lament. And you all know this lament. I still haven't found one. It's a lament. still haven't found one. And that might be you this morning. You're not unhappy. But you're not content. And I believe that something, something that we're all searching for is rescue and rest.
And this is when Simeon steps in and says, you can find out. It's in Jesus. And so Jesus, Simeon would tell us, answers our deepest search for rescue. We'll talk about that first. Our deep search for rescue or consolation is found in Jesus. Everybody is searching deep down for rescue. Churched and unchurched people are searching for rescue. Insiders and outsiders. Jesus answers both. So let's just talk about the insider search for rescue first, because that's Simeon. As we said, Simeon was a godly man. He had the Bible. He read in the Bible that consolation was coming, and that word consolation means comfort. The prophets promised a day of comfort for all who mourn. So the prophet Isaiah, in chapter 40, verses 1 through 5, if you want to turn there, or you can listen. Comfort, comfort my people, says your God. Consolation. Comfort, comfort, comfort. Double comfort. Speak tenderly to Jerusalem, my people, and cry to her that her warfare is ended, her iniquity is pardoned, that she has received from the Lord's hand double for all her sins. A voice cries in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord. Make straight in the desert a highway for our God. Every valley shall be lifted up. Every mountain and hill shall be made low, and the uneven grass shall become level, and the rough places a plain, and the glory of the Lord shall be revealed, and all flesh shall see it together, for the mouth of the Lord has spoken. Epiphany, consolation, comfort. Simeon was a searcher. He was a hard-nosed searcher. (laughs) He was wrestling. But he had the promises of God. And God, the Holy Spirit, was interacting with him. He had all the signposts from God in the Old Testament and the prophets. He was a churchman. But he still hadn't found what he was looking for. He is looking for true comfort. He was looking for rescue. But then finally, when he sees Jesus, he declares in verse 30, My eyes have seen it. My eyes have seen your salvation, O sovereign Lord. And this is why Simeon tells us that Jesus is glory for your people Israel. Jesus alone is the answer to Israel's search, to Israel's story. He fulfills the story of Israel. So Simeon tells all Jewish men and all Jewish women around him, look, our wait is over. Our wait is over. Look, don't miss him. This may not have been what you were expecting. You were expecting a strong sort of military conqueror to come in. And this is quiet. This is a baby. may not be what you're expecting, but don't miss him. The consolation is here. Is here. Our story is met and fulfilled right here. I'm holding it. Jesus answers the insider's search for rescue. But that's not all. Notice how in that same verse, verse 32, if you take a look again, Simeon includes the Gentiles, that is, all men and women who are not in Israel. Hmm. Amen. And this is enormous. Simeon is saying that Jesus came not just for Israel, but for all nations. Jesus is not just some tribal interest with national boundaries. Not some king in the corner of interest to just Israel. No, no, no. Jesus is of interest to everyone. He's the king of all. And this means that Jesus is also the end of our searching, whether we're part of Israel or not. 
It means that Jesus is the end of searching for all people, all tribes, all tongues, all nations. And that's why the New Testament makes such a big deal. The Gospels and the letters about outsiders finding the Messiah, Jesus. Consider the Magi. The Magi in Matthew 2. The Magi who are basically pagan astronomers. The scientists of their day find Jesus. And there's a giant reversal in the story. Matthew 2, I encourage you to look at it. Those best equipped to find Jesus miss him or want him dead. That is, the Jewish scholars, the Bible scholars, and then the so-called king of the Jews, Herod. They are the best equipped to find Jesus. But those least equipped and least expected to find Jesus, find him in worship. So listen to what Daniel Harold says, quote, As a baby, Jesus already shattered human categories of religion and race and class and privilege. Outsiders are welcome inside. Before the story is over, the homeless and the destitute, prostitutes, lepers, Roman centurions, condemned criminals, and the IRS will all be welcomed inside too. The Magi, in other words, and everything that follows after them, fulfill and embody verse 32. He is light to reveal God to the nations. They embody that. If you are not of Jewish lineage and you're here with us this morning, you are embodying that too. And if you didn't grow up in church and your searching brought you here this morning or brought you to a church beyond all realm of possibility years ago, you are embodying verse 32 as well. It is amazing. So Rosalind Picard is a professor at MIT. And according to MIT's website, quote, Picard is an active inventor with multiple patents, including wearable and non-contact sensors, algorithms, systems for sensing, recognizing, and responding respectfully to human affective information. <laughs> She's a rock star. Well, when Picard was a child, as you could imagine, she discovered that she was very smart. And she decided smart people don't believe in God. In her words, quote, As early as grade school, when I was a voracious reader and a straight-A student, I identified with being smart. And I believe smart people don't need religion. As a result, I declared myself an atheist. I dismissed people who believed in God as uneducated. But she babysat for this sharp, smart couple. And one day they invited her to church. And that surprised her. And when she resisted, they said, well, at least try reading this. And they handed her a Bible. Just read this and see what you think. And when she started to read it, she was shocked. And she says, in her words, she encountered a disturbing yet oddly attractive sense of being spoken to. Hmm. Disturbing because she didn't want her search to lead to Jesus. But the search continued until one day she found herself at church and it clicked. And here's how she puts it. Remember, she's an inventor. Uh, she invented a life-saving smartwatch that 
detects epileptic seizures, for instance. So here's how she puts it in her inventor way. Have you ever tried to assemble something mechanical and it only kind of works? I cannot relate, but moving on. <laughs> she continues. <laughs> Maybe the wheels spin, but not smoothly. Then you realize you're missing a piece. And when you finally put it together correctly, it works beautifully. She says, this is how it felt when I handed my life over to God. I thought it had worked fine before. But after it was fixed, it worked exponentially better. That's not to say nothing bad ever happened to me, far from it. But in all things, good and bad, I couldn't count on God's guidance, comfort, and protection. We're all searching for that. We're all searching for the click. We're all searching for rescue. We're all searching for treasure. And Simeon, as a religious insider, and the Magi, as religious outsiders, show us that Jesus alone is the click. The treasure. So let me just ask you, are you longing for consolation? Jesus alone answers that search. He was born that you might have Second birth, as the hand puts it. We're born into a fallen world and with fallen hearts and with fallen relationships, and all we see around us seems fallen and broken. But Jesus was born as God in flesh to rescue us, to bring comfort. If you are mourning, Jesus alone is consolation. Let me just ask another question for you Who are the Magi next door? Jesus is the answer to those that we think are far from God. Or perhaps you're here this morning and you think you are far from God. Well, I love Dr. Picard's testimony because like the Magi in Matthew, she is devoted to the science of the day. And as astronomers, they were too. And that's what the Magi were doing. They were committed to the pursuit of truth. And their commitment led them to Jesus, not away from Jesus. In the same way, Rosalind Picard. And the same can be true for your neighbor or your colleague. Consider building bridges with them. Don't write them off. They're desperately searching for rescue, just as you are. We are alike. Epiphany, I think, invites us to see the common ground of our search. And we can point others. Jesus, like Simeon, like the Magi. And so Simeon shows us that Jesus answers our search for rescue, but I want to just talk about one more thing briefly. He also shows us that Jesus answers our search for rest, and so just take a look at verse 26. The Holy Spirit assures Simeon that he would not see death before seeing Jesus. And so when Simeon finally sees Jesus, he can say, Lord, now you're letting your servant depart in peace, which is just a, a way of saying, I can die now. I can die now. I can die in peace. He finally has what older generations call repose. Repose. Prior to this, Simeon had an unresolved tension in his life, but now, at the deepest core, the search is over, and that gives him a fundamental rest in his body. Why? Well, two reasons this text gives. Number one, he sees Jesus. 
Verse 30 says, I can die now, Lord, because my eyes have seen your salvation. It's all he really needs. It's all you really need. Do you believe that? It's all you need. Ultimately, you can have the deepest kind of repose because you see the salvation in an infant who will live for you, who will die for you, who will be raised for you, who has ascended to God's right hand, interceding for you, praying for you by name at this moment, who will return, who will return surely to make all that is sad in this world untrue, to straighten all that's been broken and bent, physically, spiritually, emotionally, and all the rest. In this infant baby. That's repose. That's rest. That's ultimately all we need. That's all the food and drink we need. And it's in Jesus. He sees him and he can rest. He can die in peace. But the second thing, there's another detail in this text that strikes me. And it's in verse 28. It's just, I've read, I've read past this so many times. He holds Jesus. He doesn't just see Jesus, he holds him. He takes him in his arms. Think about that. The author and creator and sustainer of the universe allows this man, Simeon, to hold him. I think of John, the beloved disciple, who we're told leaned into Jesus. Rested, not on the idea of Jesus, but rested on Jesus. John starts his letter, 1 John, this way. Quote, we proclaim to you the one who existed from the beginning. Okay, that's a big, big claim. Whom we have heard and seen. Okay, just like Simeon. We saw him with our own eyes, just like Simeon. We touched him with our hands, just like Sam. He is a living life. Simeon can rest because his search is over. He not only sees Jesus, he holds Jesus. His rest, in other words, is not in an idea. You can't hold an idea. You can't hold an idea. Philosophy and propositions, you can't hold them. Simeon's rest is not in an idea, but a real person who is powerful enough to make the universe, but humble enough to be held. Isn't that amazing? He designed the hands that held him. And for us to truly rest, to truly die at peace, like Simeon, we need to see and come to terms with the person of Jesus. We need to experience the person of Jesus, not ideas about Jesus. I recently read an Atlantic article from retired pastor Timothy Keller. He wrote it last spring and shortly after uh, his pancreatic cancer diagnosis. And maybe you've read it as well. It's called Grown My Faith in the Face of Death. Do read it. In it, he tells the story of Thomas Aquinas. So Aquinas is famous for his Summa Theologica in the 13th century. So in Latin, Summa Theologica means... Summary of theology. So no small task, right? I'm going to summarize theology for you. Apparently it contains 1.8 million words. It's impressive. 
McKellar reminds us that on December 6, 1273, Aquinas stopped cold. Why? Well, his friend asked him why, and apparently he told his buddy that he had an experience of God that made all that he has written, quote, made his theology seem like straw in comparison. And Keller goes on, quote, that was no repudiation of his theology. Of course not. But Thomas had seen the difference between the map of God and God himself. And a very great difference it was. There is a difference between the map of God and God himself. Just like there is a difference between a map of the Grand Canyon and standing on its edge. And for you to rest, I think to really rest, you need the person of Jesus. Not only the maps that describe it. Am I saying the maps are not important? No. But may we hold Jesus. May we see him. May we rest in the person of Jesus. He is who saves us. So let me just say, maybe you're burning out. Out there. Out there. And it's a miracle here at church though. Uh, what Simeon tells you this morning is that you can rest in the person of Jesus. He's not a philosophy, but a person who can be held. Nothing will burn you out faster than serving an impersonal collection of truths about Jesus. Truth about Jesus is important, but allow them to point you to Jesus himself. It strikes me that there's only one other person I can think of, as I was thinking about this, besides his parents, who hold Jesus like off the ground. It's Joseph of Arimathea, who asks Pilate after the crucifixion if he can have the body of Jesus and give him a proper dignified burial. So I, I actually imagine him holding it. And what that must have been like. Friends, that's our rest. The king of the universe came to be born, to die for us, to be held by Simeon, by Joseph. And that's the answer to our searching. The king of the universe who will rise on Easter Sunday was held in his humility. And that's Simeon's role in the story of God to remind you that you can die well. Why? Because you can have rest in Jesus. Epiphany. Jesus is revealed. Death <coughs> dies in the death of Jesus. And in his resurrection. So what does this mean for you? I think it means embrace him. Embrace him this morning. Like Simeon, drop everything, run to him, and grab hold of him. Later, Simeon says to Mary and Joseph in verse 34, Behold, this child is appointed for the fall and the rising of many in Israel, and for a sign that is opposed. And then he says, And a sword will pierce through your soul also. Talking to Mary. 
In other words, those who embrace him in humility like Simeon will be raised. And those who reject him in pride will be lowered, who oppose him, will be lowered. And so you have a choice, this epiphany. Reject him and you will be lowered and pierced in your soul. In fact, that's what Simeon is likely referring to when he says to Mary, your soul will be pierced. Because in all of Jesus' earthly ministry, we read about it, Mary rejects Jesus' ministry. In his death and resurrection, she believes. And there's a piercing of her soul in that sense. But like Mary, and like Simeon here, we can embrace the one who was pierced in body and soul for us so that we can be raised and have rest. Your search is over. Drop everything. Clean me. Hold And Lord, we do that now. We do that now. We do that even at your supper. As we come to the Lord's Supper here in a moment, we recognize that some mysterious way you are present to us in a way that is beyond just our cognition. But by the Holy Spirit, you promise, your scripture says, to have fellowship with us at this table, which means in a very mysterious sense, we are, you are allowing us to even hold you at the supper. And to be comforted by you. And to be reminded of your humility where your body was broken and your blood was poured out so that death would die and that so we could die well. Epiphany. You reveal yourself most clearly, Lord, in Jesus, and we see even at this table in the moment your desire to be known and to be trusted upon. And so we come to you now. Thirsty. Thanks for tuning in. For more information about our church and for more resources like this, visit our website at hopechurchcolumbus.org.